Hey, it's Ashley here, and as you probably know, our trip to Italy is coming up, and we're learning so much with the help of Wondrium. Wondrium is the educational platform with thousands of hours of trustworthy content on courses covering just about every topic. And Wondrium is giving Jesuitical listeners an amazing offer, a free month of unlimited access. Sign up now at wondrium.com Jesuitical. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. And welcome to our sixth and final season of Jesuitical. <laughs> oh, this is news to me. Yeah. I, I hope the I hope the writers wrap up a lot of the existing plot lines. Uh, they've got a lot to uncover. Uh, just kidding. We are not, as far as we know getting canceled after this. But we are back for a sixth season, I think. Yes, my, and very my... excited to be back after, you know, a much needed and lovely summer break. But, you know, I miss being behind the mic, talking to you and talking to interesting people. I really, really love the summer break every time it comes. It seems like I took a break from the news a little bit. It seems like a lot of people are taking a break from the news. But look, we passed Labor Day. It's, we're, kids are back at school. It's time to get back to it. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I was a nerd in elementary school and loved this time of year. It was like Christmas for me. So I'm coming into this episode with like first day of third grade energy. I, you, you could have just said that I, you are still a nerd. You, have, you were not a nerd and stopped to be one. You are still one. I, I don't have a, a, a new pencil box or a new uh, folder or anything, but I do have a, a new drink to start the season. Yes, we are having a dirty gin martini at the request of our guest, who we'll get into later. But uh, yeah, nice, refreshing end of summer cocktail. Yeah, welcome back. And who are we talking to this week? We are talking to Caitlin Beatty. She is a writer, journalist, and editor, and the author of the new book, Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church. Yes. So Caitlin is documenting the rise of celebrity pastors. Um, She's coming from the evangelical tradition. So you think maybe like Billy Graham and Franklin Graham, but kind of like updated into the content producing world, Um, but also celebrities becoming Christians. So the whole like Bieber Kanye trend. And there are a ton of connections with what's happening in the evangelical Protestant world with what's going on in the Catholic Church, you know, even thinking about, you know, whether or not the Pope is a celebrity, right? I I would think so. Uh, if you've ever been to any type of papal audience or mass, people People kind of freak out like it's a like it's a K-pop concert. Um, so we're talking about that and what the problems of celebrity culture are, particularly for the church. I think we would all agree that celebrity, you know, obsessing is a problem, but we also love to do it. So what's the solution? Yeah. And on top of that, we'll have Signs of the Times where we talk about the top Catholic stories from the summer that you might have missed when you were on the beach and tuning out. And in As One Friend Speaks to Another, we will talk about ways to prepare for retreats, pilgrimages, and really any new season of life. But before we get to all of that, we have a few words about our sponsor this week. As most of you know, our trip to Italy is coming up so soon, and we can't wait to travel the country and visit all the historical landmarks. But before we go, we want to learn about the history and how that part of the world came to be. Yeah, so we've been checking out one of Wondrium's brand new programs, Traveling the Roman Empire. Uh, It's hosted by archaeologist Darius Aria, and he's a really great guide. It's so interesting to hear about the ways that the Roman Empire organized their provinces across three continents, which is pretty wild. Yeah, and this program really feels like an adventure. It takes you rock climbing, biking, and even scuba diving to see these historic locations. Unfortunately, we won't be scuba diving this time, but maybe on a future pilgrimage. Maybe next time. <laughs> one Dream is the educational platform with courses just like this one and others on just about every topic you can imagine, from top university professors and experts who are incredible teachers. And the best part? There's no homework, no grades. It's just learning for the pure enjoyment of learning. We love Wondrium, and it's how we're helping to prepare for this trip. So even if you can't join us in Italy, you can experience a bit of the country with Wondrium. And right now, Wondrium is offering our listeners a free month. That's a free month of unlimited access. To get this offer, you need to visit our special URL, though. It's wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. Don't wait. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical. 
And now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sip through the Catholic News of the Week so you don't have to. And on this, our first episode back from our summer break, we wanted to dig into three important stories that you might have missed this summer and one less important story that you probably didn't miss. Um, So what's that first important story, Zach? So last season, we covered Pope Francis's restriction on the Latin Mass. Uh, you might recall our conversation with uh, Father Pierre uh, from France in June. Well, just a few weeks after our episode aired, Pope Francis released a new apostolic letter about the liturgy entitled Desiderio Desideravi, uh, which is Latin for I have deeply desired, um, ironically, about why Pope, explaining why Pope Francis is restricted the Latin Mass. <laughs> right. So the letter explains Francis's decision last summer to limit the use of the traditional Latin Mass and also offers a meditation on the importance of the liturgy. Uh, Pope Francis says that most Catholics need a serious and dynamic liturgical formation, which suggests, yeah, it, he's suggesting that a lot of us uh, don't quite understand what Vatican II is asking for when it calls for full and active participation in the Mass. Yeah, I know it could be just like snooze over headline, like Pope writes a letter. Um, but I think this is really interesting because like, I think the liturgy wars are are back, right? So I think we're going to see a lot more arguments, hopefully a lot more formation, um, and hopefully those can be productive talks. But it matters because it's what we do every Sunday. And what's our next story from the summer, Ashley? So this was a big one. Uh, In late July, Pope Francis made what he called a pilgrimage of penance to Canada to apologize to the indigenous peoples uh, on their own land. And this this was a, a long time coming. So for some context, for over a century, starting in the late 1800s, the Catholic Church was complicit in running government-funded residential schools. And these were schools where indigenous children were uh, forcibly removed from their families, stripped of their language, religion, dress, traditions in, a, in an attempt to assimilate them into, you know, the European Christian culture. And there was pretty widespread physical, emotional, and sexual abuse by some religious women and men at these schools, causing generations of trauma. Yeah. And this uh, was an apology that was years in the making. A Truth and Reconciliation report that came out in 2015 chronicled uh, this history and issued 94 calls to action, which one of those was including a uh, papal apology in Canada. So on his first full day in Canada, Pope Francis made made good on his pledge to make this apology, and he begged for forgiveness for, quote, the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous peoples. Yeah. Um, the Pope said the apology was just the first step in a process of reconciliation and that, you know, there need to be more concrete steps. I don't want to speak for what indigenous peoples thought about this trip. You know, you can go read those for yourselves. I, I, it seems that some people... Um, thought the apology was too little too late. Um, But the reporting did suggest that at least uh, that most, if not a good amount, were grateful for the apology and thought Francis was, you know, genuinely speaking from the heart, Um, though they did agree with the Pope that the work of reparation has just begun. Right. And our third important story, uh, we have new cardinals, right, Zach? Yeah. So uh, just a little bit ago on August 27th, Pope Francis created 20 new cardinals. Uh, 16 of them, including Robert McElroy, who's the Archbishop of San Diego, are eligible to vote for the next pope. And this is always a big deal because cardinals under the age of 80 will pick the successor of Pope Francis. They're also key advisors to the pope. So generally important, important thing that goes on in the church whenever the pope names new cardinals. And this is Pope Francis's eighth consistory. So he's he's really changing the dynamic of the College of Cardinals. And what he's been doing throughout his papacy is trying to internationalize it. Um, so this consistory, he made cardinals for the first time in Mongolia, Paraguay, Singapore, and Timor-Leste. He also gave the red hat to the first ever cardinal from Amazonia and the first cardinal from the Dalits, and this is the the so-called untouchables of India's caste system. So again, as you said, Francis is really like broadening the reach of the College of Cardinals to more accurately reflect the global Catholic Church. And finally, a story that is maybe, I don't know, not headline news, but uh, certainly made the rounds on Twitter. Yes, and relevant to the conversation that we're going to have with our guest, Caitlin Beatty. So we had some some speculation around uh, celebrities converting to the Catholic faith this summer. So this actually started last summer when Britney Spears uh, posted to Instagram saying that she had just got back from mass 
dot, 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 I'm Catholic now, let us pray. Um, She deleted the post and people were left kind of confused about if it was real, whether it was meant to be a dig at her family members, because this was at the time when there was the very messy uh, legal dispute over her conservatorship. Uh, So that was last summer. And then uh, this August, she took to Instagram. Are you saying she did it again? She did. (laughs) So in a post on Instagram, she said that she tried to get married in a Catholic church in Los Angeles and had been turned away. Uh, So the church in question was St. Monica's, which is a very beautiful church. She said she had tried to go during the pandemic and she couldn't because of the restrictions. And um, she said when she went back and tried to get married there, she learned that she had to be Catholic and go through a test to have a wedding in the uh, church. Uh, for uh, on behalf of the parish, uh, they said they had no knowledge of Brittany requesting to get married there. Um, so not really sure what's going on, uh, but it nevertheless did bring up kind of an interesting conversation about uh, you know we do put a lot of red tape around sacraments a lot of the times. And we kind of look down on people for wanting to get married in our churches just because they're beautiful, um, which, you know, brings up, I think an important conversation about access Mm -hmm. to sacraments and whether we're facilitating people's access, uh, or natural inclination to be attracted to beautiful things and, uh, all that stuff. Uh, Our colleague, Jim McDermott, SJ wrote a great piece about this, uh, because, I was I was very lost the whole time this was happening. And as usual, Jim McDermott is able to take an obscure thing in pop culture and draw out some pretty important theological lessons for us to consider. Which brings us to our second celebrity conversion story featuring Shia LaBeouf. You may remember him from Even Stevens, Holes, and Transformers if you're a millennial like me. But more recently, he's playing Padre Pio in a new biopic about this Italian saint. Yes. And Shai went on Bishop Robert Barron's interview show to talk about how that experience of playing Padre Pio has changed his life. He shared that um, he receives communion and loves the Latin mass. Uh, They also talk about suffering and the unexpected ways God works in our lives. And well, many Catholics were ready to enthusiastically welcome Shia to uh, quote their team, our team. We're getting we're getting into this with our guests later, but it's nice when a famous person, you know, makes it seem like the religion that you're following isn't totally insane. But there was also another side to this story. Right. So in in recent months, Shia has been accused by two women of domestic and sexual assault. Um, and those accounts have been backed up by others who have experienced um, harassment uh, from from Shia. And so, you know, during the interview, Shia alludes to these and ad- admits to hurting a lot of people. But at other points, he seems to paint himself as the as the victim of unfair accusations. And there's there's not a lot of, you know, pushback or attempts to get him to think more deeply about what what real, you know, contrition and reconciliation might look like in his situation. Right. I Like, who knows if he's having those conversations with other yeah. people, but this is sort of the problem with public high profile conversions. If we're going to talk about some of the, the good parts, maybe some of the uglier parts of the, of the conversion are also should also be fair game. Maybe. I don't know. We're, we're going to get into that question, you know, whether we should care at all about celebrities converting. What are the pitfalls of putting so much stock in our famous parishioners? We're going to be talking about all of that and more with our guest this week, Caitlin Beatty. So stick around. Joining us in studio is Caitlin Beatty. Caitlin is the author of the new book, Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Profits Are Hurting the Church. Welcome to Jesuitical, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me. It's good uh, to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Um, congrats on the book. Thanks. Um, and it comes at a, a good time in the Catholic world because we were just talking about at the top of the show how we had a, a kind of a summer of celebrity conversions in the Catholic world. I'll put maybe quotes around celebrity and conversion there. But there were questions <laughs> about whether or not um, maybe Britney Spears was converting to Catholicism. Still still unclear. That would be a big one. That would be a big one. Big fish um, to And then uh, Shia LaBeouf also made some headlines uh, about uh possibly converting and falling in love with Catholicism. But generally, is is this like a thing that's happening where um, maybe are we just noticing it more because our, our celebrity culture has like accelerated mm-hmm. to such a degree in 2022? Well, we definitely have more exposure into celebrities' lives just through 
social media and the expectation that they would share personal parts of their lives. I mean, you mentioned Britney Spears. Like, if I went and checked her Instagram right now, I could probably find out what she's eaten (laughs) in the last 24 hours or, like, the details of her various tattoos. So the the exposure of famous people's private lives. And then I think speaking from the evangelical world, which is the world that I know the best and grew up in, there's a kind of excitement around celebrity conversions because it feels like a big win. Yeah, got one for your team. Yeah, you know, there's a kind of culture war. If we can claim people in high places who love Jesus and we hope will talk about Jesus or defend our values, then we've gained some kind of cultural credibility and power. I'm wondering if maybe we could even just take a step back. You kind of start the book by defining celebrity. And I think that's a useful place to start, just kind of defining terms. So how mm-hmm. how do you define celebrity? Yeah. So I distinguish celebrity from fame in that celebrity is a real, essentially a modern phenomenon that is inherently relying on the tools of mass media to project an image and a personal brand that people attach to and come to adore or derive some kind of their own identity from and their attachment to. And then, you know, the the definition that I really came to in the book is social power without proximity. So the ability to captivate, to shape hearts and minds, but from the distance of the stage and the screen. And when we're talking about celebrities in the church, I think what is dangerous or what we've seen in cases of abuses of power is that lack of proximity, the kind of distance where people don't think to hold you accountable because you're just you're too big or you're too important Mm -hmm. to the brand or the mission to ask serious questions of. Yeah. So we started with talking about Christian celebrities, but your book is more about like celebrity Celebrity Christians. Christians. And so I I do (laughs) want to draw that out so people have an idea of celebrities as people they see on magazines and on follow on Instagram. So what what what's the distinctive features of being a, a celebrity Christian? Where you're like Christian famous. Yes. Yeah. Well, in some ways, I think it's worse. <laughs> because so, just to be clear, do you think celebrity is inherently a negative thing? Yeah. I mean, I think that's simplifying it. I would say celebrity comes with some unique temptations that, from a theological perspective, are uh, counter to the Christian spirit of self-negation, of serving others, of seeking glory for God over self. Um, And the reason I said that I think celebrity Christians are more, are worse, like kind of tongue in cheek, Mm -hmm. but kind of not, is that in a lot of sectors of the church, we're not even aware of or honest about the dynamics of celebrity at play. Like, it's almost like we know better than to name it for what it actually is. But I'm thinking about a pastor who, or a priest, since I'm speaking to you too, um, who walks into a room and people stand or they hang on their every word or they want to have their photos taken with them or just being around the person has this kind of intoxicating effect. Mm -hmm. And if you're in that position, it's really easy to start believing your own hype and start believing I really am the most important person in the room (laughs) and I deserve to be treated as such. And that, of course, connects to, you know, the accumulation of wealth, the accumulation of power over other people, um, seeking power over instead of serving others or being on behalf of others. So celebrity brings in all these attendant problems that can actually be hard to identify until it's almost too late. Mm-hmm. That sounds a lot like what we call clericalism in the church, um, and, mm. and which is, you know, something that I think most people see as at at the root of the sexual abuse crisis. And so I, I mm. think it, I don't know, it trans, that's how it kind of translates to my experience of, of the dangers of, of celebrity, of, you know, being above accountability. And, mm-hmm. and, and you were saying, you know, power without proximity. I was thinking because in the instance of at least some pastors or priests, they are like on the surface neighbors or on the same level they're they're tied to a you know maybe a physical church but um is it more of like a a metaphysical proximity thing where we've, we we mm. put them up on like a higher a higher plane or a higher way of being that they're not accountable to the same rules as, as us or, or or is it also they need to be in the same physical space no i well i do think physical space is really important when we're talking about 
accountability and staying grounded and humble. I mean, humility is connected to the word hummus, which is connected to the word for human, which is like, we are flesh and blood people. We are mere mortals. We have limitations because we exist in time and space. And, and you can see those limitations in time and space in the way that you yes. can't necessarily in like a, a an airbrushed yeah. persona or brand. Exactly, right? exactly. But the, mes- the metaphysical, this is the, definitely the first time that I've used the word metaphysical on a podcast about this book <laughs> and also the first time that I have been trying to say metaphysical <laughs> been trying to say metaphysical while drinking a martini and it's not going very well. Uh, lots of firsts on the on Jesuitical <laughs> lots of people. It's not an uncommon experience. Um but yes, you know, in so many of these cases of sexual abuse in the church or abuses of power, you hear victims or people in a specific community say, we thought they were like God. We thought they were closer Mm. to God in some real way. When they showed up, it was like God was in the room. How do you say no to God? How do you hold God accountable or someone who is seen as spiritually superior? Um, So there's, yeah, there is some absolutely something not just about staying physically grounded, but also staying metaphysically grounded, I might be a priest or a pastor, but at the end of the day, I am just as in need of redemption and groundedness as everybody else. I want to bring this to your own story of conversion. So you you converted when you were 13, I think. And so I'm curious what role celebrity Christians played, maybe not in your initial con- conversion, but your your formation as a Christian. I was reading I was reading the book and I was reminded, it, you know, I was in a Catholic context, but I, I was realizing that there were a lot of uh, things that we might have imported in Catholic youth ministry culture from evangelical <laughs> youth ministry culture. I mean, we grew up not far from each other, so maybe that was it too, but I don't think it I mean, was just an Ohio thing. It was the high and holy days of evangelical youth culture, so I'm not surprised that it infiltrated into mm-hmm. other contexts. Yeah. So I came to Christ at a youth rally connected to the United Methodist Church that my parents and I, our, our family was attending at the time. And I, you know, I think of that experience as very real and authentic. And in the course of being a teenager and kind of being involved in youth group and coming to learn what it meant to be a Christian, looking back, realizing so much of my Christian identity in that time was about the musicians and writers and speakers that I was a fan of that were kind of symbolizing a commercial, consumer-oriented understanding of Christian identity far more than like a denominational history or the people in my local church. I mean, this was the heyday of like DC Talk and the Newsboys and Rebecca St. James and Lee Strobel and I Kiss Dating Goodbye and purity, you know, purity culture. Yeah. But all of that was kind of, I know myself as a Christian through the forms of media that I consume. And these famous Christians out there represent something that I want to be like. And that that you know, I argue in the book that is more formative even for many evangelicals today than is a denominational history or attachment to a local church. So I think part of this celebrity culture in the church is helping to undermine the centrality of institutions. When did you start noticing that disconnect in your own faith life? Probably as a young adult when I had a very significant year of mental health challenges and found a lot of stability and groundedness in the liturgies of the Anglican Church. I didn't cross all the way over, but I got pretty close. And I am still in an, in an Episcopal church mm-hmm. today. And just recognizing that the consumer branding-oriented Christianity that I had been given had really nothing to say yeah. about. Like you said before, that you care about them. They don't really care about what's going on in in your life. So it's kind I mean, of hard how, to... how can celebrities minister <laughs> yeah, to yeah. you in any proximate way? You know, if you need somebody to pray with you, you might be able to listen to one of their sermons or read one mm-hmm. of their books, but it's not it's just not the same as presence. Yeah. I am um, as I said, I, I was noticing lots of similarities because um, you know, for Catholic youth ministry culture it was um I know it's funny because some listeners will totally resonate with this and others will be like, that was not my experience at all. Cause I know Ashley did not have this type of thing. But there's like the Steubenville conferences and the NCYCs, and they're like basically you've got 
speakers that have got the fancy microphone looking like they're like from NSYNC or you've got people <laughs> doing rock concerts and they're like lots of a lot of charisma, which is yeah. was so refreshing because it was so different than like mm-hmm. dull Sunday liturgy. Because right. it, um, it was entertaining, but also meaningful. Uh, but I had this moment in uh, college where the disconnect became clear for me because um I'd mentioned to a friend like, oh, what do you like? What do you want to do with your theology degree? And I and I said, oh, I think I want to be like I said. And I mentioned one of these people that just is like an itinerant. You wanted preacher. to have one of the fancy. Yeah, bikes. I wanted to be. Yeah, of and course. I'm you so, but now I've got a fancy <laughs> bike, so I kind of did it. It's um, all come full circle. <laughs> but I, 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 the friend just said back to me like, I just I think you should probably be Zach Davis and not try to be this other person. Mm. And I was like, oh snap! Like, there's a real like weird mm-hmm. relationship that I have to. I think you know, I, I still think they did s- some good work, but mm-hmm. it really caused me to kind of like take a step back and reflect and like, okay, because of people that were proximate to me, mm-hmm. what am I actually? What does God actually? calling me to be in the world. The thing that your book made me realize is that Christian circles are like borrowing from like celebrity culture, like the the, the structures and the forms of like you've got like guitars and rock shows and things mm-hmm. without ever, but no one ever stopped to ask the question of like, was this a good idea? <laughs> yeah. We can do it, but should we yeah. do it? And, right. And, and do you think the intention was initially a, a good one? Like, oh, we, we need to Mm-hmm. Speak to the youths. This is what they they like in sync. So we need to be like <laughs> we gotta NSYNC. have the, the mics. <laughs> yeah, um, I think yeah, I think that impulse is good. I mean, you know, evangelicals in particular are very pragmatic when it comes to using tools to reach as many people with the gospel. Right. Yeah. Your your book catalogs the history. This goes back to the as long as there have been an evangelical movement in the US. They've yeah, used at least tools. <laughs> at least in the last 150, yeah. 200 years, you know, first using like newspapers to create crowds and draw to draw crowds and create spectacle. Billy Graham was you know, kind of famous for using whatever mass media he could get his hands on to share the gospel. And then you get into the mega church in particular, the mega church movement of, of the last 40 years. And that was a very explicit um the leaders of that movement explicitly said, we want to find out why our neighbors are not going to church and we are going to design church to cater to their felt needs and what they are looking for in church. And they found that people wanted to be entertained, inspired, comfortable, and access the church in a convenient manner. It's like 60% of all people who attend church belong in 10% of the churches and they're all mega churches. Hmm. Wow. Like a majority of evangelicals who go to church are in hmm. a mega church. When you're thinking about what is the faith formation that we're providing or what kind of spiritual community are we inviting people into, you know, maybe people don't need another space during the week where they're entertained yeah. or where they can listen to really great music or where they can hear an inspirational talk like maybe what they need is <laughs> mortification of the flesh <laughs> but like it's really hard to brand a church yeah. around that we've tried really hard uh i mean the, the crucifix is basically that um so the catholics are working on it uh yeah. <laughs> you know i was reading this book to bring it back to like a, a, a catholic perspective the whole time i'm like yeah celebrity bad celebrity bad i'm like on board with it and then i'm like I mean, we're in the studio. We have a cardboard cutout of the Pope. And I'm thinking to myself, like, is, isn't the Pope like the biggest celebrity for us? Um, and like, maybe, I don't know. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I was having, I don't know if you had a reaction similar to mm-hmm. that, Ashley. Yeah, no, it, it is. I, I, you know, I like the Pope. <laughs> I love I, the Pope. And I like all Popes. And, and I like the Pope because he's the Pope, not like mm. I liked Benedict. And if I had been old enough, I probably would have liked JB too. I, I would think that popes are generally more famous than celebrities. Like they, they hold an office that has great significance for us as Catholics. But does that line, I mean, as an outsider, yeah. like mm-hmm. what it, what's your take on it? Is the pope famous, or, or is the pope famous, or is he a celebrity? Well, I think he's both. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's obviously true because this pope in particular is very adept at using the tools and channels of mass media. See, from the inside, it can seem like he's. <laughs> He gets a lot of attention. We're not sure how much of it's an intentional. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's. Yeah, I'm not sure how much is of it of it's like, like. He understands the power of image. I think. Yes. Yeah. But he does also seem to have a kind of charisma 
like part of his appeal is not that he has the office of the Pope, but that he seems like a smart and engaging and charismatic person who has really good quips about mm. issues of the day. So he's unfiltered, I would say. Mm. Which is new for many Catholics. Well, that comes across as like authentic, which comes across as charismatic. And that's like mm-hmm. sort of like definitely like key ingredients. Mm-hmm. But what it's it's funny because now with media, we've got access to basically like every single thing a Pope says. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, back in the day, you might not hear like a daily homily that the Pope gave. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might not affect your life ever. And instead now Catholics get to sort of like be laser focused at every single thing Pope mm-hmm. Francis does. And you've got in traditionally where it would be obviously everybody is pro pope now you've got sort of like factions yeah i feel like the marriage of social media of catholics being able to talk to you know see the worst opinions of their fellow catholics and have this one point of you know that you can all talk about has instead of the pope being like this you know person of unity it has Mm -hmm. has led to a fracturing in the current situation which is depressing (laughs) does that just speak to how deep polarization is and how politicized this moment is that like it doesn't matter what the pope says you know each side i know that's simplifying but the sides are going to see it as a proxy for like the future of the catholic church and determine whether that future is good or bad and then like blame the other side for the reasons why the church is having so many problems Mm -hmm. And and just to be clear the evangelicals have that problem too i don't know if you heard about how many white evangelicals supported our last president that was a little contentious yeah yeah and i wanted so you mentioned culture war before but you you seem to use it in a different context than what you know i think the general use is like culture war is like issues like abortion and same-sex marriage so Mm. what do you so is that part of what you're talking about or is it more is it a wider lens of like Mm -hmm. the culture (laughs) Mm. basically binary thinking that is both solidified and perpetuated by the two-party political system in the U.S., the fact that the parties have grown increasingly farther apart on almost every issue of the day, and churches have not been able to withstand those deep divisions. If anything, churches are kind of front and center of where those divisions and conflicts are taking place. Yeah. So so in that context of... so. Why is getting Justin Bieber to go to evangelical church like mm. a win in the culture war? Because he's he's not going mm. out and talking about contentious political issues, but it's still still seen as some sort of win for for the culture or against the culture. Yeah, he's yeah he's not talking about specific hot button issues, but he has over two hundred million Instagram followers, and he is posting photos of himself shirtless. I might add. But nonetheless, hold, wholesome, hold, <laughs> holding a Bible open, showing himself reading his Bible and saying, wow, this is so amazing. And I think a lot of evangelicals, a lot of evangelicals who feel like they are culturally marginalized or misunderstood can at least point to Justin Bieber and say, yeah, but this I think he's by default seen as like on the left or progressive mm-hmm. because of his status in pop culture and kind of the influence he has at the top levels. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like your people or your tribe are being silenced or marginalized or misunderstood, you can at least point to Justin Bieber to say, yeah, but we still have this inroad. Now, I wonder if there's something natural in, like, obviously there are sinful ways to exploit celebrity, but it almost seems like audiences have just as like at least some responsibility because we mm-hmm. we feed that machine it's it seems like a lot of the times where the mm-hmm. we're, we're sharing and commenting and my like celebrity thing is nba players and like mm. the thing i like more than the game itself is like free agency and where's this player going to go and who's unhappy and what are they going to do and I, I how much of that is like just human nature in the sinful sense and maybe human nature in like a positive like evolutionary yeah, like is it sense. wrong for me to get excited when stephen colbert talks about his faith on TV. No. Okay. He's exempt from all. He's of exempt. Rules. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a yeah. good guy. Oh, he's one of the good celebrities. <laughs> we talk about like celebrity fodder. I think some of it is just distraction, and I'm not necessarily convinced that distraction is always bad. I mean, we all kind of need some kind of escape from the stresses of our daily lives. Some of us that's in like watching the new Tolkien series. Some of us that's in the end. 
NBA and, free agency. <laughs> yeah, whatever that is. I don't know what that is, but or the um, fantasy football league. Oh yes, yes, yes. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and for some of us, that's you know like following tabloid news about someone whose work we like or who we find interesting. I mean, this is going to be dated by the time this episode comes out, but in the last two days, there's been all this fodder about the movie premiere of Don't Worry, Darling, and like Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde and Florence Pugh. And like, I have been reading this news. (laughs) And then I'm like, Caitlin, you just wrote a book. (laughs) But I I don't necessarily think that that impulse to kind of escape in the drama of a world that's totally foreign to you is is bad. It's almost like less sinful if you're like around the water cooler to gossip about a celebrity than like your coworker or your spouse or your like someone who you can like, mm. actually hurt. Right. Uh, Very they're, they're so, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> they're so distant. And also I think there was a time, and maybe this is still true in a lot of segments, that celebrity fodder is a common touch point for like shared communities, mm-hmm. like your coworkers who you may not have anything in common with, except that you both follow the NBA free agency dramas yes. and you can like chat about it or the way that people talk about the Oscars. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think of that as like, we may not have that many other connecting points, but at least we can talk about this. I want to bring this to where it intersects with, you know, the faith lives of individuals or of communities and what, what the detrimental effects of it might be. Mm-hmm. So I don't know which one of those you want to speak to, but so what What could this do to, you know, concretely someone's relationship with Jesus and their fellow believers to, to mm-hmm. have their faith so defined mm-hmm. by by celebrity and, and charismatic individuals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there have been a spate of stories of fallen celebrity pastors in the evangelical world in the last 10 years. And I think for a lot of people in those communities, you know, they really looked to the pastor as emblematic of what they wanted to be like, really believed that they were specially or uniquely blessed or called by God to serve that particular community, could say, yeah, but this person's preaching or leadership has brought so many more people into the church. There might be these other problems, but it's kind of all worth it. And then when that person burns out in such a spectacular way, I do think there's there are questions for a lot of people of credibility, you know, if especially in instances of abuse where someone is abusing other people. How can I believe what you said from the stage about Jesus when there was such a profound disconnect in how you were treating people off the stage? I would say evangelicalism is still within a time of reckoning and a lot of disillusionment and people deconstructing, deconverting. I think this whole celebrity dynamic is a part of that conversation. You have this great like turn of phrase about how to fix this problem, so to speak, which is, um, you know, really. Well, she's very clear that she's not going to fix the problem. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's true. We, there's no there's no like branded listicle fix for how to get rid of. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you just have to buy the book and find out from Caitlin exactly how to get over this problem. Um, but you, you do get into some suggestions of solutions. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, the virtue of ex- obscurity. And mm-hmm. could you say maybe just give like your thesis about you know, mm-hmm. where the road we should maybe be like following is to kind of overcome mm-hmm. some of these temptations to celebrity work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's a little bit of tension in me offering the virtue of, of obscurity while I am trying to talk about a book that I want people to read, right? And perhaps even in doing this podcast interview. So it's a virtue for other people. <laughs> <laughs> Very Jesuitical of you. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm reminded of the movie that came out in 2019 from Terrence Malick called A Hidden Life about an Austrian farmer, a Catholic who refused allegiance to Hitler in the 1930s and, you know, grappled with that decision and, uh, you know, eventually was executed by the state for that decision. I think that's just so beautiful, the kind of faithfulness that is truly about obedience and allegiance over attention and even effectiveness or strategy. I think evangelicals in particular want things to work for things to be able to grow. Mm -hmm. And martyrdom is not, well, (laughs) there is the quote about martyrdom being the- That's been well-branded. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
Yeah. Yeah. But like, I don't think it's a very effective, I don't think it's a good strategy for any of us to follow per se. Yeah. Right. There's something radically ineffective about dying for yeah. the gospel. You don't, you don't seek martyrdom. You don't seek martyrdom. And if you do, that's a, a yeah. another problem. Yeah. I think about you know, 20 plus years beyond the time that I first came to faith and and what has made faith real to me in that time is really ordinary faithfulness among people who I know and love. You know, they're not really on social media. They're not trying to project an image of themselves. They're not they're not following Jesus in a particular way to strategically draw people more in. They're just faithfully loving God and neighbor. The way that they embodied that love is what makes not just Christianity, but Jesus real to me. Hmm. Yeah. And that's not something you can get from a book or even a podcast as much as we would want it. So so how in your own life or what advice would you have for others for for building the community where you can find find mm-hmm. those hidden Christians quietly mm-hmm. going about their life? Well, I do think it takes proximity. I mean, I think we're all called to be in some form of embedded community in the church, in a group of friends, just to have the kind of flesh-on-flesh relationships that attest to ordinary faithfulness. And Which, so, like, coming out of the pandemic, we have really not had for a couple of years now. And so, like, people, I think, mm. are bereft of those in a lot of ways right now. So, mm-hmm. like, Yeah, I think for people who do find themselves with some measure of fame or renown or new platform, so to speak... Are there ways that you can temper the temptations of that with life off the screen? And it's complicated. I feel that tension in my own life because I have to be on screens, like in my work. I am <laughs> um, like a, pu- a somewhat public person, right? You have right. to be public facing. Right. But also, maybe it means intentionally taking breaks from it, whether it's one day a week or a month a year or longer periods where you kind of readjust your maybe addiction to the dopamine hit of the like or the retweet and come to depend less on that for your own sense of self-worth or accomplishment. I'm really just preaching to myself at this point. It's very hard. Um yeah, intentional intentional breaks away and then just as an act of imagination thinking okay, what if what if God calls me away from this whole public thing? Would I be okay with that? Could I be okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> and if not, what is that about? You yeah, know? if you're not free to if you're not free to leave, you're not free to stay. Mm. I think would be an yeah, Ignatian. Some good Ignatian detachment. Yeah. Um Caitlin, uh, we do have one final question, one very Catholic question for you before okay. uh, you go. We ask this of all our guests. Uh, if you could canonize one person, living <laughs> or dead, Catholic or evangelical, uh, celebrity or not, who would it be and why? I mean, okay. She is a celebrity. I'm sure at least some of your listeners will have heard of her. Um, I would argue she is the most famous evangelical woman writing and speaking today, and that is Beth Moore. And she has such an interesting story because she kind of rose to prominence through Bible studies and got to a point where she was speaking to like sold out stadiums. She her her leadership role has always been until recently within the Southern Baptist Convention, which has been had very prescribed roles for women and what you can do and not do and say and not say. And in 2016, she kind of broke rank (laughs) and went rogue and started talking about speaking out against abuses of women. And, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention has had its own abuse crisis. And I just like the way that she navigates her public presence because she's always she's obsessed with Jesus. She's always talking about Jesus. And then she's also just very normal like she wants to give people just glimpses into her very normal life there's nothing that it doesn't there's no pretense it doesn't feel like she's trying to impress or make it all about herself and i just think she's she's navigating the celebrity world very well 
I don't know if that means she deserves canonization, but I know millions of women in my world who are incredibly grateful for her witness and her leadership in this very strange time that we're in. All right. All right. St. Moore. So the book is Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church. Caitlin Beatty, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you want to plug? Well, while you have a platform. <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's not so If bad. you follow me on Instagram, <laughs> I'm trying really hard. It's not working. <laughs> and you have a podcast. I do. I co-host a podcast with my friend Roxanne Stone, who lives here in New York, um, with Religion News Service, and it's called Saved by the City. As soon as you launched that, I was like, dang, that's a good podcast name. I'm so oh, really? jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find that wherever you're listening to this. Uh, yes. Yeah. Caitlin, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. I see you running. Running at a Don't try to blame it on the seasons Why you wanna walk away When we began Swear we had something Something that was Do you suspect you need more spiritual support than your pet can offer? Tired of wondering where God might be leading you? Maybe you could use a listening ear who asks the right questions to help you discern your path. We created Spiritualize to help you connect with qualified spiritual direction support because we believe that spirit thrives on listening and connection. Join us today at spiritualize.co and select Referred by Jesuitical for 50% off your first session. Discover the sacred in the ordinary, one session at a time at spiritualize.co. Over 100 million people need our help globally. Join Jesuit Refugee Service USA as they accompany, serve, and advocate for refugees worldwide. Find out more by visiting www.jrsusa.org. And now it's time for some housekeeping. What do we have this week, Zach? Uh, so want to take a moment and remind our listeners uh, where they can find uh, coverage of all those stories that we talked about during SOTs and more. It's with the digital subscription to America. Uh, in addition to being able to read without any interruptions or paywalls or anything, all of the award-winning journalism that the team in America is producing, you also have access to uh, daily scripture reflections written by the staff here at America, including from Ashley and me. Yeah, I think you're on deck for this Sunday. So <laughs> yes, so I will be uh, reflecting on the prodigal son. Uh, so if you if you want to get access to that, and you're coming up soon too, right? Yeah, I'm I'm the Sunday after that. So if you ever want to know what if, if Zach and I had to write homilies, <laughs> what they would look like, <laughs> this is your chance. It's and it comes straight to your email inbox every day. Uh, I've been using these in my own prayer life. It's been like... You no, know, we have some pretty profound and smart colleagues. Yeah. And it's just like a nice nice routine because uh, inevitably I'm waking up and I'm checking my phone and my email immediately and I shouldn't be. Um, but it, it does just add like a nice little reflective moment throughout that sort of morning uh, scrolling routine that I have. Uh, so you can do all of that uh, with a digital subscription to America. And again, you can find that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. And when you subscribe, you help support this show. So thank you so much to all of our readers and listeners. And now we have As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives this week. Uh, and this week, Zach, we're talking about uh, pilgrimage prep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so obviously this is relevant to us because we're getting ready to go on a pilgrimage. But I do think you know, here in the United States, like right after Labor Day, it's sort of like a, a new season of life. We're closing the the door on summer and we're looking ahead to either a new semester or a new quarter at work or w- whatever it is. How do you sort of get yourself in the right space to be able to really engage uh, in it meaningfully and authentically? Uh, I've had a spiritual director in the past talk to me um, about how because I've, I've been complaining about like, oh, I like I'll squeeze in prayer time, but I still feel like I'm not getting anything out of it. And it's because I kind of go from like one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Um, and he gave me the example of like when you're stirring a glass of water, it, you can take the the spoon out 
but the water is still swirling, right? And so it does take time for things to kind of settle. Um, so you do need to do a little bit more than just show up, which is unfortunate because I rely on that quite a bit. Yeah, no, I I think I'm coming from a similar place. I've always I've always had trouble being anywhere except where I am physically at that moment, which has its upsides of being present to people, but also feeling like I can't be present to people, you know, I, I'm not good at staying in touch with my my friends. I'm like, oh, I'll, well, I'll, I'll see him when I see him, but I'm not going to call him. I liked that metaphor of the stirring spoon because I also have, I hate transitional periods, you know, like at, at the end of the trip where you're all packed up and you're waiting mm. for everyone else to be ready and you're like, all right, let's go. I just want to like get out of here and move on to the next thing. And instead of using that, you know, period of calm to to settle and think about what just happened and where I'm going next, I, I just get very uncomfortable. We were just kind of chatting about what are some ways that you can maybe give yourself a leg up on uh, getting the most out of either a new season or a, a period of prayer. Um, and I was thinking about like, in our case, like uh, going over our itinerary. So actually just kind of looking at where we're going to be uh, learning a little bit about it. Um, and also more than just kind of learning the like facts of the history or whatever, asking yourself like, okay, where does, what does God want to say to me in Rome? Well, you know, what do I want to say to God in Rome? You know, in my case, that's like a place where I studied abroad, where I got engaged. So it's a city with a lot of, you know, a lot of meaning for me. And so I, I could just show up sort of <laughs> exasperated by the time we get there. But I'm hoping to kind of at least just, you know, pray a little bit this week about um, what what I want out of that or, or what, what I want God to say to me. And I was surprised to learn from Eric that this is actually something that St. Ignatius recommends. Right. Yeah. So he I think it's in the context of of retreats. But St. Ignatius recommends that you go into it asking for a specific grace. And that doesn't mean that God is going to give you that specific grace, but it, it doesn't doesn't hurt to, to name that before you go into the experience. So I guess, listeners, I want to leave you with a thought this week about are you starting anything new right now? Is there like a period of intentionality that's coming up? And if so, what's what's a grace that you want out of that? Um, whether you're coming on this pilgrimage with us, whether you are starting a new school year, um, maybe you have a big decision coming up. Uh, what's what's the grace that you want to ask God for in this season? All right. It's been so good to be back, but I will get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Cristobal Spielman. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcast. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeshirt Studio at American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.